You know, Timmy's, you know, they used to be, when they give you a Boston cream, they put, like, wax paper in with the donut so that the, or the paper bag doesn't stick to the chocolate and peel it off when you try to take the donut out of the bag. <laughs> and, of course, this stupid Tim Hortons, which happens to be the slowest in B.C., I might add. <laughs> if anyone's ever in a hurry, don't ever go to the Lowheed Mall Tim Hortons in Coquillum. Because you're not going anywhere fast. They have two cash. I don't even know why they have two cash registers. They take, never have them open. Take a picture of it. Tweet it. F you. Look at this. They'll give you free notes for life. This is the AT Banter Podcast. A balanced and entertaining look at assistive technology, accessibility, and its importance in people's lives. Join Rob Minot, Ryan Fleury, and Steve Barclay as they banter with people around the world about anything and everything regarding assistive technology and the disability community. Now, on with the show. Hey, and welcome to another episode of AT Banter. Banter, banter. Banter, banter. It's Monday. Oh, wait. Uh, uh, my name is Rob Minow. <laughs> it is Monday. You're correct. <laughs> uh, joining me in the room, Mr. Ryan Fleury. Good day. And also Mr. Steve Barkley. Hey, y'all. And uh, we are here. It's a Monday. We're uh, happy about that. No. <laughs> no, we're not. <laughs> we have such hard lives. We are semi-brain dead every Monday. <laughs> and I would say, suggest that this Monday, even more so. Well, yeah, especially you, because I heard, I heard a rumor that you had a big party at your place this weekend. Well, not at our place. It was in the cabana, uh, just up from our place. And it's a shared uh, common room in our complex. And it was my daughter's 19th oh, birthday. Oh, that's right, too. So she had a good old booze up with a bunch of her friends. <laughs> there was beer pong. There was uh, dodge beer. Dodge beer. Uh, dodge beer. Dodge beer. Yeah. Really? Oh yeah, dodge beer. Oh, dodge beer is fun. Wait, uh, how do you need a lot of room? Is it like dodge ball, except you're you, you, throwing you, beer balls. You take your beer and you put it on the table in front of you, and people have to bounce ping pong balls off it. Okay. And each time they successfully hit, I don't remember how it works now. I've only played it once, and I was drunk. Uh, let's see. If you bounce it off the top, the person's got to catch it, and then you got to drink. If they don't catch it, you can run with your beer and drink as much as you can before they tag you. I can't remember. It's, it's, it. it's got some very complicated rules to it. No. And, uh, but it is, it is a lot of fun. Is it? All right. Yeah. Fair enough. So, yeah, what else? What else? They... But, but as I discovered the first time that I played it, yeah. don't play it against a 19-year-old girl soccer player because when she gets to run, just forget, forget it. Forget about it. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> so that, so how was the cleanup after that? Uh, it wasn't bad, actually, because uh, we had uh, it uh, devolved into a sleepover. Uh, uh, there were pass out what, over. probably 10 people who slept over. We just threw out air mattresses for them. Right. And uh, they uh, they crashed, got up the next morning, and everybody cleaned. So wow, many, many hands make us a light work. Well, look at that. Yeah. Far more responsible than my 19th <laughs> birthday party, which... Uh, all I remember is puking in the neighbor's flower bed. Oh, nice. Yeah, somebody did, uh, there, there was one uh, protein spill outside, I noticed. 
anything else happened this weekend? Ryan, what, what did you get up to? Anything interesting? No. Okay. Nope. Welcome to AT Banter. Yep. Great. <laughs> <laughs> uh, the Zero Excitement episode. But that's not true. It's not the Zero Excitement episode because we've got an exciting guest. Oh, look at that segue, Steve. Tell us, Ryan, what are we doing today? What is Steve talking about? Well, Steve is excited, and I'm excited, and I don't know about Rob, but he's probably excited too because he was a Lego geek. We are having Matthew Schifron, creator from Lego for the Blind, on today. Yeah, this is a this is a pretty interesting story. Um, I, I did the research over the weekend because I wasn't getting playing. Dodge beer. Uh, I was actually doing work, but uh, yeah, this is this is a really interesting story. You know, um, you know, audio instructions for Lego sets is something. It's one of those things that you slap your forehead and go, "Well, why hasn't why hasn't this existed before?" Um, and really, you know, it just came out of uh, two people. You know, a Matthew and and a family friend. Who who uh, who wrote up these uh, audio audio instructions for a, for a Lego set Braille, form? Braille instructions. Braille instructions. Yes. Yeah. Uh, and um, everything just sort of grew out of there. And you know, I won't go into it now because we'll let Matthew tell the story. But uh, it's really interesting, and I think it has some some sort of far-reaching implications going forward. So, yeah, it is exciting. It'll be exciting to talk to him. Uh, no, before we do that, Ryan, did you say we had some email? We did. Our, what happened? Well, I sent both of you the story that our friend of the show, Allie, sent us. Well, there's a, there was a lot to it. You know, like I said, I was taking a quick browse through it this morning, and it, this whole Microsoft AI accessibility initiative has been going on for, I think, a, a, at least a couple of years now. Yep. And I believe they give out grants to different companies that are kind of pushing innovation in accessibility. So... I don't know, maybe just pick a couple of the headlines there and let's just discuss them. Yeah, well, I thought the, the, the particular one that was of interest to me was the, um, there's, there's one that, that's called um, a Braille AI Tutor, mm-hmm. which I, I thought really has a lot of um, potential. You know, we, we've talked a lot on the show about uh, Braille, Braille literacy. And, you know, and the stats, you know, any, any of the recent stats have been pretty pretty bleak in terms of the amount of people that um, are fluent in Braille these days. Uh, and the numbers seem to only be going down. And a lot a lot of that has to do with um, resources. Yeah, a lack of specialized mm-hmm. teachers. Yeah, that's right. And so what, uh, and I want to give, I want to give props to Marty Schultz, friend of the show, yep. we've had on the show. Uh, of course, he's a, he's a, been an app developer for Blindfold Games, for games, um, for visually impaired people for years now, um, he's taken on uh, developing this app. And again, he's won this grant from from Microsoft for the um, AI for accessibility. So the way that the, the app would work, I mean, it's not it's certainly not going to replace a, a Braille teacher at all, but it, what it would allow a student to do would be to practice Braille. So the way that the way that it works is that the app would send a word to a Braille display. The student would, would feel what the word is and say the word was you know dog uh you, you, they would they would figure out that it says dog it, you would say dog and then it would register the, the app would register that 
that um, voice input. Move on to the next question. Okay, right. Right. So, and then it would track, of course, it would track the progress and stuff. So it would allow a a blind student to to essentially practice Braille Mm -hmm. alongside, um, you know, getting actual Braille lessons. So, you know, anything, anything that, that augments that process of learning Braille, I think is incredibly important at this point. And especially if you can use that AI component to, to make it a, you know, sort of a seamless, easy set of lessons or, or practice sessions, all three projects that this particular article talks about, I think are, are very valuable. But this one especially, I think is the one that really stood out to me is, as really having uh, some, some real benefits going forward because man we got to get those braille literacy numbers up well like they talked about you know a lot of schools and i don't know what it's like here in british columbia but the students you know would be in a special specialized class specialized classroom for an hour a week to get braille instruction and that's what i had 20 years ago you know you get braille for an hour or two once a week it's not enough it's not enough and so unless you're practicing it's like any skill whether it's learning guitar a new language whatever the more you practice, the more tools you have at your disposal, the more efficient and the quicker you're going to learn. The other, the other thing that I liked about uh, the, the product that's being developed is, is they're talking about gamifying yes. the experience. Right. And, and that, of course, is going to be, you know, highly Huge. motivating yeah. as well. So you, you'll get, you know, more engagement that way. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, that, that's, that's an important element because, you know, let's face it, learning, learning literacy skills uh, is, is you know, to most kids, tedious at best, Mm -hmm. right? You know, we don't mind when we're getting it from Sesame Street on the TV, but we sure don't want it from Mrs. Royal in the third grade classroom, right? (laughs) Well, exactly. And, you know, and that's why, you know, literacy in general, like there's all kinds of word games and stuff for, Mm -hmm. you know, for, for kids that age. I mean, gamifying lessons is... Is, is kind of standard these days in education you know it just so and again i think that's the benefit of having a guy like marty schultz doing it is because he understands games and he understands games for the visually impaired yep. so you know I, I think that that's a perfect fit right there so uh the other one that's interesting is um is the one that's being worked on by immersive yeah so they developed a product called the buzz clip which is a sort of a bit of a haptic mobility aid um, and they are now working on a, I don't know what to call it, sort of a crowdsourced. It's a street mapping. Street mapper. G- uh, GPS street mapping. So it, it basically, it would be an app that, that would allow you as a, say, as a, a visually impaired person to sort of plan a route to say the grocery store and what, and, and it would, the app would sort of using using machine learning and crowdsourcing and stuff it would be able to sort of let you know what um obstacles or what landmarks are on that route so it'd be able to tell you you know if there's construction on the street or if uh you know what kind of crosswalk you're going to run into or can help you avoid high crime areas let's hope so uh yeah tell you where water fountains or bathrooms are stuff like that and it would you know and i think the power of that particular one is that it's crowdsourced Mm -hmm. uh because you're the data that you're going to get from anything crowdsourced i feel like is going to be even more important than the machine learning component 
you know, because that that's the type of thing that can tell you, oh, you know, this elevator at the SkyTrain is out, right? Or this escalator doesn't work, or um, you know, this, you know, there's there are are you know street barricades there because they're fixing potholes. Um, I guess my only reservation about it is that I couldn't really find what they're actually using in terms of the the mapping component of that because it doesn't sound like they're using you know the google maps sort of no API. i think for it's, some of the street stuff they'll be using like what is it open street maps or yeah there's the probably there's are some open source like lodestone gps uses some open street mapping points as well and again the crowdsourcing well we'll have to wait and see yeah kind of what that looks like but it sounds like it's pretty early in their development process too because they're still in alpha mm -hmm. and uh so but the more information we have at our fingertips the better off we are absolutely well you know and it's interesting too you know because we've also got stuff like you know we've got of course ira mm -hmm. we've got lookout um be my eyes be my eyes there's a new one I called mean, be spectacular be specular i think there's another one that just recently heard about oh really i haven't yeah. even heard of that one yeah. yeah there's so many popping up which is great so yeah so i mean so some interesting stuff you know i have to give it to microsoft i i really really like the fact that they've they've they have this ai for accessibility program going on that that does allow all these sort of grassroots ideas to sort of you know come about and to actually get developed and see if they work and you know some of them are going to work and some of them aren't it's like anything else right but you know at the the end of the day what's important here and this is kind of the theme of the show, it seems, is innovation. Um, ideas, you know, people just having an idea and being able to run with it and see if it works. And that's the only way that we're going to drive some of this stuff forward because, especially in terms of accessibility, we can't just get stuck doing things the same way that we've been doing them all along. That's no longer a good excuse. So, you know, especially here in election week, Election Day. We're yes. recording. We're recording this on Election Day in Canada. Well, you know, here here we are. You know, on, on the cusp of having this this national accessibility legislation that wasn't mentioned once during this political campaign. That's right. <laughs> yeah, that's well. Uh, no, it was. It was mentioned a was couple it? of times. Okay, yeah, I didn't hear it then. Um, uh, I didn't even hear the disability groups bringing it up the, or screaming about the, it. The, but it. But it was it was really in passing, and nobody really focused on it. Mm -hmm. Nobody really, um, nobody really drove the the discussion to make the leaders talk about it. Yeah, that's uh, true. Which is unfortunate because yeah. it, it's something that you know in an election campaign you really want to hear you know how they want to move it forward so you know i think the ndp talked about strengthening it a little bit uh the liberals you know talked about how great it was that they had brought it in in the first place um, <laughs> and uh uh i i don't i can't remember the conservatives said something about it as well i don't remember are you sure? Because no, all I heard were the liberals and conservatives bashing each other. <laughs> well, <laughs> yeah, but, but nobody talked about anything. <laughs> but but most of most of what was done was just you know somebody sent out a a, yeah. a a question to a candidate or the party and said you know will you comment on this and right. some of them did some of them didn't. Okay. But uh, but yeah, it was it, it was I think introduced 
too late and not with enough people behind it to really develop some traction and get them talking about it and by by what we're looking at right now as far as the polling data shows we may end up with a minority government mm -hmm. and if we do end up with a minority government typically in canadian politics that means it's a government that doesn't last very long mm. so if we go into another election cycle i think we really need the community to step up and really hammer these guys right. yep. every candidate every party the issue and yeah. and you know make sure that this is an issue that that gets some attention the next time around because it didn't get enough this time yeah i agree i mean i think that i think everybody's worst fears about this legislation is that it's just gonna it's just gonna kind of be there like or, it's not going to really... Or even will it? You know, as one government introduces something, a new government comes in and, and repeals it or whatever the word is. I you don't know. think that would happen, though. Yeah, I don't I, think well, they'd repeal it. That would but look I mean, pretty negative on any would, government coming they're in. Just, yes. they'll just, it'll just come to pass, and but there, there'll be no teeth behind it. There well, that's Nobody exactly. will really yeah. do much in the way of, of actually driving it forward and actually, you know, making some of these goals... You know, it's going to create a few positions. There's going to be a little bit of wheel spinning. But really, at the end of the day, nothing's Will really going to change. Yeah. Uh, and so I think that we do. I mean, as as the community, we need to really hold these guys' feet to the fire and really, like you said, hammer them. Because, you know, we need to use this legislation as a, as the pole in a pole vault. Um, you know, we need to sort of, you know, to, to use that to actually get us to where we want to be in terms of building an accessible country yeah and and this legislation as it stands right now you know it only applies to government and government has a right to exempt themselves from it <laughs> yeah. so uh, you know it, it it's it's being done in a way that i think is is disingenuous at best yeah mm -hmm. um and uh um yeah, it, it, it does need to be strengthened. The Senate uh, suggested a whole bunch of changes to it which weren't adopted. Um, those Senate recommendations need to be adopted. You know, we got to get her done. Mm -hmm. we got to hold the next government's feet to the fire. And, yeah, um, we do. And uh, make sure it's an election issue the next time around. Hey, Steve, why don't you tell the fine folks about Canadian Assistive Technology? Well, Canadian Assistive Technology is a Canadian-based distributor of, guess what, assistive technology. I would not have guessed that. Uh, really? Oh, i got to work something better into the name then. <laughs> um, and uh, we do uh, all kinds of low vision and blindness aids, as well as all kinds of physical access aids and uh, accessible furniture, you name it. Visit our website at www.canastech.com. Rick, let me ask you about this. Chaos Technical Services. Chaos Technical Services. Don't sound so excited about it. <laughs> <laughs> Woo! <laughs> Speaking of repairs. We are the sister company to Canas Tech. Um, we do the repairs on uh, low vision devices, uh, uh, reading machines uh, for libraries, braille printers, and pretty well anything in between. We can be found at uh, www.chaostechnicalservices.com. Joining us now is Matthew Schifrin from Lego for the Blind. Hi, Matthew. Hello. Hello, Ryan. How are you? Good, thanks. How are you? Good, good. 
thanks for joining us. Uh, why don't we just start off with uh, just giving us a little bit of background and, and tell us how this whole um, accessible Lego instructions uh, started for you. Oh, sure. So the accessible Lego instructions thing started on my 13th birthday when a friend of mine brought me a giant box. And in this giant box, there was a giant binder. And in the giant binder were text-based instructions that the friend had brailed by hand, um, letting me know what kind of parts I needed and where they should be placed and what the whole set would look like once everything was set and done. And it was a really formative experience for me because I never thought that as someone blind since birth, I'd be able to build a Lego set on my own. And then I was able to. And what was interesting about the creation of these instructions was that there was no blueprint. This friend just kind of um, created her own vocabulary of different names for different Lego pieces, trying to make it as intuitive a process as possible so that I could build this set from start to finish. And she really wanted to kind of test the durability of the English language. She was really curious to see whether could the English language be melded and shaped in such a way that a blind person could build a Lego set independently from start to finish using just words. And the answer was yes. And so as soon as I built that first set on my own, we realized that we could go digital. We didn't need to, I mean, to hammer out things on a Braille writer. We could just very much type up the documents of Microsoft Word. She could email them to me. I could correct them. And then we started the Lego for the Blind website where we posted text-based instructions for every single Lego set that we could get our hands on. And when that site launched, it was a really interesting experience because all these parents of blankets, they were, and blankets themselves, they were really excited. They didn't know that something like this existed and they wanted more. And they said, you know, this is great. Can you make this set accessible? And that set accessible. What about that other set? Can you make that one accessible? <laughs> and we had to turn them down because we're just two people in the living room doing this in our spare time. <laughs> yeah, right. My friend Dina would make the write the instructions, and I would uh, build the set and check the instructions for errors. And that's when I realized that we had to turn this project up a notch. And so I got in touch with Lego and asked them whether they'd be interested in making text-based instructions for their own sets. So blankets could build them on their own, just like sighted kids. Well, and you'd think that would be the much more efficient route to go. You know, some of these pieces have, you know, hundreds, I don't know, maybe thousands of pieces, and Lego's got the blueprints, so... I'm glad, I'm glad they were approachable. Oh, very. It was an interesting process, though, the approach, because this project started in 2010. And then we, we got in touch with Lego, and we didn't really know who to go to. And, I mean, there, there were friendly customer service people saying, hey, this is wonderful work, but we, we can't really help you. We're, we're customer service. Um, and then kind of when the website went up, that was really kind of really a point where we knew that we could get in touch. And a couple of months after the Leg of the Blind website went up, this friend who wrote the instructions died. And after she died, I realized, you know, I can't, I can't let this project die with her. I mean, it's, it's too, it's been too, too monumental for me and too useful for blind children to just let it wither. Right. And so I had a friend at MIT and it just happened that he had a friend who was working at Lego and he put me in touch with his friend at Lego who introduced me to the head of their kind of new projects division, which is their creative play lab. And the head of the creative play lab really 
took a fancy to this project and was really energized about it. And he really pushed it through to the kind of highest echelons of the company. And the good thing is that they really care in the sense that they have four sets that they've recently released, and they're going to increase that number of sets to 50 by spring of 2020. Wow. Yeah, it's incredible. You know, more and more we're hearing stories of, of companies who are, um, what's the word I'm looking for? Embracing. Embracing accessibility, yeah. Agreed. Maybe let's talk about this idea of, of language, because I think that this is fascinating too. The, the process, that process of taking something like a, a visual blueprint and turning that into text-based instructions had to have been so daunting and so challenging. Can you walk us through a little bit about uh, of how what that process was like? Oh, my, my friend's process was really, she'd had a lot of experience with Lego before, but she'd never, she'd never tried to adapt it. So her process was basically look at the different pieces and make the descriptions as, as concise as possible and as simple to follow as possible so that any, any kid, do, they don't have to know fancy Lego terminology like brick or plate or tile. They can just kind of build, kind of um, just engage with this very simple language. So we have, if we say it's a two by one, then it's a two by one brick. If we say it's a flat two by one or F two by one, that's a plate or a flat piece. If it's a flat smooth two by one, it's what Lego calls a tile. That's a flat piece that's smooth with no studs or bumps on top. And I mean, kind of, we took those, uh, we took those simple names and then we kind of expanded on them. So let's say you need to place a corner piece. Um, that's a the three button piece. That's a corner. And we would use braille letters because we were thinking, Oh, blind kids, it'll, it'll encourage them to kind of get into braille and engage with the medium more. If we tell them, that place this like the braille letter J or H hmm. or F or D rather than just kind of trying to think of a complicated description of how it should be placed. And I mean, Lego are making their braille bricks, which is great, but we were thinking of more of a kind of braille in context type thing. Right. And in terms of our language, it was useful because teachers of the visually impaired, they could use this as an incentive for their students to learn braille and right. say hey we have half an hour left we're going to build the set but you can't listen to the instructions here's a braille display go and read it and we really strove for compactness because braille displays don't have a lot of letters and we wanted it to be as concise as possible and as legible as possible and then it was also really a matter of conveying the building experience we really wanted to give blind builders a full and detailed experience so in our instructions we would describe the advertisements in the back of the manuals or the the prints of the torsos and the faces and whatever on the lego people if there were any stickers or uh, pieces with like designs on them we'd describe those just because those are kind of the little details that make the lego sets worth building for the sighted people right and so we thought, well, blind kids deserve that level of detail as well. When Lego sort of stepped in and started developing their own um, instructions, did they? do you find that they just kind of took the process that you guys had come up with and mirrored that? Or did they build on it? Or what's, what's They did of- a really interesting thing. They expanded, they took our process and then they expanded on it using artificial intelligence. 
So they created an AI algorithm that could read the data that, like when these Lego blueprints are generated by the designers, there is text-based data that is generated. And they were able to take this data. This data needs to be like, no one can, you can't just go and find it. It has to be like, it's buried somewhere in the depths of their, of their databases. And so the AI algorithm is able to use this very complex numerical mathematical data and is able to translate it into text because it's been fed all of Lego's part names. So instead of us saying uh, one by one, they might say brick one by one. Or instead of us saying flat smooth two by two, they'll say two by two tile. Hmm. And the terminology is slightly different, but their concept is very similar and their approach to kind of um, to detail and to really kind of um, to mirroring the engagement of the site experience is also very, or, or I'm very glad that they're going that route. They could just kind of um, cobble together a bunch of instructions and just be like, okay, we're done. Right. But thankfully, they've really gone the extra mile and made it very, kind of made everything very detailed and very immersive from a building standpoint. Yeah, for sure. One, and if they're using AI, I mean, it, it also makes sense that their process probably is is much shorter than doing it the old-fashioned way, which would seem to mean that you know going forward that that this will they'll be providing a lot more. Um, for a lot more sets. Their goal in a couple of years is to have every new release come with text-based instructions. Excellent. That's what I like to hear. Well, I just think, too, like if you had the Braille instructions or even an app that could pair to a Braille display and you could load the set that you have, you know, into your app and the instructions are, you know, played audibly or, you know, even driven through the Braille display, there's a lot of potential for this. Currently, they use a website. And on their website, you can kind of do it hooked up to a Braille display, or you can listen to them from an audio standpoint, or they have a mode for voiceover or like smartphone-based screen readers to be able to interact with it. So I think their goal is really creating as much, kind of as many different opportunities for access as they can. Nice. Can you speak a little bit to how useful it is to be able to, to say, put together something like a Lego set is um, in terms of like spatial awareness and building, building um, logic building skills. It's incredibly valuable. I mean, because blind children have a lot of trouble with spatial awareness and spatial reasoning just because it's really hard to teach that to them. Um, and these Lego sets really help them with spatial awareness and spatial reasoning and really kind of being able to follow directions in a very organized and methodical way. But not only that, they get to learn a little bit about the world around them. Right. If they build, I don't know, a double-decker bus, and if they ever go to London and someone says, oh, there's a double-decker bus passing by, they can say, oh, I, I know what that looks like. I've been able to experience it through Lego. I built it on my own. Right. And it's really valuable to kind of for these kids to have aha moments and say, hey, look, mom and dad, look what I built. Because not only is it an engaging experience for them, but they really learned something from it. Sure. And, you know, it gives them that, that sense, you know, huge sense of accomplishment. 
Uh, I'm sure. Oh, very much. And not only speaking to inclusion, right? They, they, they can build Lego, you know, right along with their friends as well. So, no, very you, much. You know, that's. I had. Sorry, continue. No, no, I'm sorry. Go ahead. I, this project was really kind of really engaging to me from the start because I had had a lot of friends in elementary school who were very big Lego fans. And I'd talk to them and I'd say, hey, so how, how have you been Lego-wise? And they say, oh, good. I built the spaceship yesterday and the castle the day before and a train the day before that. And I said, how did you do that? They, they give me this look and they say, well, I don't know. I looked at the instructions and they told me what to do. <laughs> and I was like, well, I guess you're right about that. <laughs> um, but it was interesting because before these instructions existed, I used to build with my parents. But it's very hard because the parents are very busy. So it would take us three to four hours to build a set that was 20 or $30 just because it took so long to find the needed pieces and figure out where they go, put them there. And it was just very time consuming. And then as the parents and I got busier, sets would kind of be partly done. And then you'd think, oh, this is a cool part. I'll use this the werewolf for something else. And then the rest of the set just disappears into the general Lego bin never to be seen again. <laughs> so what is the process? You go to the store, you buy a Lego set. Does it come with the instructions in Braille or audio, or do you have to go to a website and like punch in? If you go to legoaudioinstructions.com, um, they will have instructions for four different sets. And uh, the way you do it is... And these sets are fairly manageable in the sense that each only has two bags of parts. So all you'd need is a sighted person to tell you which, which bag of parts is for what. And then you just dump everything out that you need. And then you, you can sort the part by type. I personally do this because it speeds up the process. Um, and like sort all the bricks into one container, all the flat pieces into another. Um, in terms of color, Lego will hopefully be incorporating a color identifier into a future version of this instruction website so that you can identify parts by color. The instructions do feature color names just so that those with some level of vision can kind of have an extra guide and don't have to randomly be searching around and being like, I don't know what color this is or can see the color but don't like can't see the instructions well enough to figure out what colors need it but there is a way to turn colors off. Um, if you're using the audio instructions, I think that's either C or shift C and you would have to disable JAWS or NVDA for that to work or whatever screen you're using, I think, and then turn it back on. Right. Um, and the other slight issue might be stickers, but I mean, stickers are always an issue and that would, you'd need a little bit of sighted help for applying those if you like. But generally, building the set is not um, is a fully independent thing. So, what's next? What what uh, creative thing can we uh, make accessible next? I mean, I'm I'm currently building a virtual reality helmet for blind people because I think um, it uses these spinning gyroscopes to affect the vestibular system and simulate different motions like falling or flying through the air. And I think that a headset like that would be really useful for film to immerse blind people at film or to immerse blind people 
I initially thought of it as a way to make comic books accessible mm-hmm. because I thought it would be cool. And I mean, if you if you take the comic books, then you um, they run on these kind of movie scripts, these very detailed scripts. If you take those scripts and you adapt them into kind of 3D sound radio dramas where the sound's all around your head, behind you, above you, below you, and then you connect those to a motion simulating helmet, like the one that I'm currently building, then you create a virtual reality experience that's accessible to everyone, not just hmm. um, not just sighted people. And you get a really immersive experience that works for everyone, be you blind or sighted. Uh, what's your favorite Lego set that you've ever built? <laughs> I think the Tower Bridge, just because it took so long, it took months. I don't really remember how long it took. I mean, I was, I was like full time in high school at that point, and I was just like coming home, doing homework, and building in the evenings. And it's it's the largest set we've ever made accessible, forty two hundred pieces. And when it was finished, it was just such an aha moment. This giant, this giant bridge with these covered walkways and these kind of minareted towers very kind of very majestically rising up from the kitchen table (laughs) so what what do you do with these sets after you've you've finished building them do you keep them around for a couple of days and then bin them or smash them (laughs) destroy that (laughs) no i some of them i just kind of keep around and display others i i give to friends or just kids i know who uh, who I think would have fun with them, but kind of a lot of the, I just, I haven't had time to build recently. I mean, I've, I consult with Lego checking their sets for errors, um, like checking their instructions for errors. But beyond that, I mean, since, since my friend died, I've only built like two or three sets cause she had a couple of instructions that she had written before she died. And I just wanted to like check those for errors. I mean, as a full-time college student, you don't really have time to just sit down and say, "Hey, I'm gonna, yeah. I'm gonna build a house today. I'm gonna build a Ferris wheel." That just does not happen. Yeah, sadly, that's what happens. <laughs> you start to run out of time to do stuff. Definitely. And you're blind yourself too, right, Matthew? Yes. Yes. Can I ask what your eye condition is? I was born early. Oh, okay. So ROP. Are these Lego sets available worldwide, like Canada? Yes. North America? Yes. Yeah. Okay. Everywhere. Okay, great. Yeah, they're, they're not exclusive in any way. Amazon, eBay, wherever you get your Lego sets, they're definitely there. Are, are the instructions available in other languages? No. Currently, they're in English, but Lego's hoping to do translations of instructions into other languages once once they kind of have more experience with the instructional writing and set adaptation process. Right. I think after the spring, they'd hopefully be translating them into other languages. I kind of want to circle back to the, uh, the virtual reality headset because that's such a cool idea. Yeah, okay. You, you, you mentioned um, a, a way of, of simulating uh, motion. And can, can you talk more about that? Sure. So the way that our helmet would work is it uses these spinning gyroscopes to affect the vestibular system, which controls your balance. And um, basically, these wheels spin at different speeds, and then they suddenly stop spinning. They break. And depending on how quickly they're spinning or not spinning, um, 
that effective vestibular system, it makes you feel like you're moving to the left or moving to the right or kind of like being pushed backward or forward. And these kind of gyro, these motions of these gyroscopes can be combined to move, um, to create different kind of different sensations. Would you, and, would you typically, sorry, continue. Sorry. Would you, would you typically use that while you were standing or sitting? We're thinking sitting. Um, I think that would be safest. Yeah. It might work standing, but we're currently thinking as more of a, a seated experience. Um, just because a lot of a lot of virtual reality experiences for sighted people use a lot of hand tracking and just body tracking, which we haven't really gotten into because we were kind of thinking more of a static kind of a static experience. Um, but kind of once our prototype is ready, then we could. Our goal is that this helmet could be an add-on to virtual reality headsets that already exist, like the Rift or the Vive or whatever. Hmm. And for headsets like that, um, the goal, I think the goal is really providing as immersive an experience as possible. Just because blind people have not had access to, um, I don't know, I always, since I was a child, I found the comic book a really fascinating medium because it used, <clears throat> it used pictures and text was minimal, and a lot of the story was told through pictures, and these pictures were incredibly detailed. I mean, so much action and so many things happening were crammed into a space about the size of a matchbox. My dad would read me Daredevil comics growing up, and I found it really ironic that the only, the only blind superhero is available in a medium that is completely inaccessible to blind people. Mm -hmm. And... As I grew older, I was really trying to figure out how blind people could engage with this medium. And I found that the only way they could do it was through prose novelizations, which is fine. But the trouble is these novelizations, they have, they have pages and pages of lead up before someone gets punched in the face. There's no immediacy to any of the action, as opposed to a comic book where it's like panel seven. Captain America smacks an aim agent in the face with his shield. The agent <laughs> falls on the ground and crumbles. Done. It happened. And that immediacy, and the fact that it just occurred in front of you, I think is something that really, that I was really lacking in a lot of the books I was reading. Even like audiobooks are great. Don't get me wrong. But if there's not enough narration or description to tell you what's happening, then you're just like, oh, things are happening. Cool. And then you tend to lose a lot of interest. And a lot of these adaptations of comic books are intended for sighted people who've read the comic. And as a result, these audio adaptations tend to <clears throat> fall a little short when it comes to the blind people because a lot of blind people haven't read, I don't know, Daredevil, Guardian Devil, or Avengers vs. X-Men or whatever. Mm -hmm. And... I was just thinking about the power of motion and what it would be like to to feel like you're Spider-Man singing from a skyscraper or the incredible Hulk and a movable force. And like all these different all these different characters and what it, how kind of how you could inhabit them in a more immersive way than video gamers can with a controller. It, it, you know, as, as you talk more about this, I, I have friends who who write for comics and uh 
uh, as as you talk about this, uh, it, it you're you're almost reimagining the genre and how it can be presented, and uh, I, I think you 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 could very well reinvent that genre with this technology because it could be so much more immersive and and not even just benefit people who are visually impaired it would, it would just make the genre that much more immersive for everybody yeah sure but but this is this is almost taking well it is taking comics into a more of a performance art kind of um idea and we're, we're already seeing evolutions within the comic book industry, uh, you know, as, as a lot of stuff is going online. There's a lot of online comic content these days. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I've got one friend who is um, uh, using uh, public, uh, publicly accessible imagery to build his comics on, a, on, his, on his comic site. Um, and... Uh, cobbling together these weird images that he's dredging up from <laughs> from different public sources on the web um, to, to tell stories um, and making the comics more interactive uh, through through the website as well um, so you know it's, it's one case where somebody is trying to advance the genre in a in a utilizing the technology that he has on hand but what you're doing is you're advancing it using technology that maybe nobody's thought about using for this and it's 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 and a like really interactive comics are great but then again we bump up against the issue of accessibility yeah these yeah. comic book yeah. apps on the app store for example that claim to have like sound effects and whatever they're fine and dandy and if you like jab the screen aimlessly you'll eventually kind of be able to swip swipe from page to page and but then again you can't read it it's inaccessible so you're just getting branded bits of sound and you're thoroughly confused and then you give up and you think why should i bother this is completely inaccessible to me you know one of the lessons to take away from that is that things are only inaccessible because of either just lack of innovation um, nothing should be necessarily inaccessible if it's adapted properly you know, it just takes that little bit of technology, that little bit of innovation to make it accessible. You know, again, and we, let's use Lego as an example. You know, 10 years ago, the idea of, of accessible Lego would have been shocking. Let's not just look at a medium and go, well, you know what, that's just inaccessible to blind people. Let's figure out a way to make it accessible. And that's, you know, the work that you're doing, Matthew, I think is super important because you are innovating. I mean, I think these mediums and these products are created to be pushed and to be expanded upon. And I think it's really up to up to the kind of creative consumer to really think about how can I how can I stretch this medium to how can I bend it to my will and really make it more more workable for me than it currently is. And I think that if we as visually impaired disabled consumers don't go about that route, things are going to, I mean, things are just going to stay the way they are, the car stuck in the snow. Right. And it's not necessarily, um, I mean, it can just be, as long as you have a solid idea and you throw it at the right people and convince them that this is worth their time and you talk to them about how many people it could help and like the five or six million blind children in the U.S. who would really, um, who'd really benefit from this, then you have them hooked. Then you just need to make sure that they 
they follow through, but the product is solid, launch it, and then you continue working with them. And even with the comic books, it was a really interesting experience when I found that these comic books run on scripts. So there was a there's a comic book author, Mark Wade, who wrote some Daredevil comics in the 2010-2011, and he tried to do make an accessible version of one of his Daredevil comics, and it was like a, a the table read. And people sat down and read a script, and I met him at a comic book convention, and I said, you know, this is wonderful, but I could do better. I have through the sound, I have voice actors. Could I could I have access to your script to make it more immersive for blind people? He said, sure. And then that's really how and how the radio drama component got started. And it's interesting, the more authors you reach out to, the more enthusiastic they are. These are complete strangers. I don't know them. They don't know me. They don't owe me anything. I'm just a guy with a stick at conventions being like, hey, <laughs> I love blah, blah, blah book. Can I make it accessible for blind people? Well, again, you know, I don't know how many times you've talked on this on this show about you know, educating the public. A lot of people don't even think about accessibility. It's an afterthought, you know, and slowly that's starting to change. So good on you for approaching them and, you know, promoting accessibility. It's a great way to spend your weekend. Just go author hunting. It's my weekend. (laughs) All right. Well, listen, Matthew, we want to thank you so much for taking some time out of your day and and chatting with us. so before we let you go, though, uh, tell us where people can find the accessible instructions, both yours and the, the Lego, the official Lego uh, instructions for some of the different Lego sets. They can find my instructions at legofortheblind.com, all one word, lowercase. And they can find Lego's instructions at legoaudioinstructions.com. Thank you again, sir. Thank you so much. Okay, okay thanks. take care. What do you think, Ryan? You're gonna get a Lego set now. I think I might get a small set just to play around with it and see. Actually, you know, you know what? That's, that'd be a good Christmas present. There you go. Yeah, there you are. That's a good secret Santa present. There for you Ryan. go. All right, Woo, I'm getting Lego for Christmas. The Harry Potter <laughs> small castle. piece, like eight piece set, <laughs> not a forty two hundred piece set. Because <laughs> it'll never get done. London Bridge is falling down. <laughs> I, can't, I, can't I I read over some of the instructions online. Did and you? Yeah, I mean, they're very thorough. Yeah. I can only imagine um, the time that it would take to um, write that out. But, I mean, that can be applied to so many different things if if you continue outwards from Lego. If you think about uh, instructions to put together an IKEA bookcase, Mm -hmm. like in the fact that Anything that's diagrammed based, right, that that lays things out, you could translate that into text-based instructions using that sort of same template. So there's all kinds of applications for this that mm-hmm. can be extended out to actually make things accessible for uh, blind people. So you know, I, I do. I don't think that that we can we can't we need to underscore this. I think, and not just sort of dismiss it as well. It's Lego and and big deal. No, this is actually, a, 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 you know, some, it shows that this can be done. So the only thing that bums me about, out about the whole story is really the fact that the only reason this all happened was... He's got a friend at MIT who knew somebody at Lego. Yeah, yeah. that kind of bums me out yeah. um, because 
you know, I just want to live in this world where, <laughs> where people can approach these companies with, with some ideas and innovation about how to make their products accessible and they'll, they'll mm-hmm. listen. Um, but I don't know. I guess we're, we're still not there yet. But hopefully, you know, other companies will look at what Lego has done and look at all this publicity that they got and all the goodwill that they got and the bump in sales that I'm sure that they got. And they'll go, oh, well, you know what? Maybe we should think about figuring out how to make our product accessible. Incidentally, while you were talking there, I just looked up IKEA instructions for the blind, and guess what? What? There are some? There are none. Yeah, I didn't think so. No, there's IKEA instructions on how to get a divorce. (laughs) there's no no instructions for the blind i'm putting them together Uh (laughs) and actually that is definitely something that would benefit everybody because i want you look at some of those diagrams diagrams. it doesn't even matter you don't even have the piece they're trying to describe sometimes ryan you'd have as good of a chance of putting together one of those bookcases as i would oh i know linda and i've done them those are crazy stupid (laughs) diagrams they're terrible here's your allen key good luck <laughs> oh, I mean, but no, like you know, there, there's all kinds of applications I mm-hmm. think going forward with this. And but I mean, the long and the short of it is, you know, I want I want companies to really you know stand up and and recognize the we're consumers, the, the business case yep. for making accessibility a part of their products. Uh, that's what I really feel like needs to happen because unfortunately, the long and the short of it is, companies aren't in the business of doing the right thing; they're in the business of of making money and so if you can if they can realize that doing the right thing will make them more money yeah right mm-hmm. as well as garner a lot of goodwill and yep. free publicity how many how many blind folks go out independently and buy themselves an ikea bookshelf right now and take it home and assemble it on their own i i would suggest <laughs> very few there's <laughs> probably not many but but all it would take would be one person at ikea factory in sweden coming up with the uh, Bjork Bjork instructions in in a, in a you know an accessible format we apologize to all Swedens out there <laughs> <laughs> and uh, uh, they would open up a market of yeah. you know yeah what 10 million people yep no? yeah that, that's that's a pretty good reward for for the amount of effort it would take that's mm-hmm. right well and it, it is interesting that Lego going forward had just developed some sort of AI technology to develop these instructions as well. Yeah. You know, again, as, as that technology gets better and that becomes more of an option for companies, you know, the, probably the development cost for, for doing something like this is going to go down for them as well. If they can just plug in an algorithm to, to actually build the instructions even easier. I also, you know, it, it made me wonder too. Um, because Lego does a lot of stuff around, um, uh, popular media. Yeah. So they'll have Lego sets for movies, uh, for, you know, all, all kinds of different things. But, but specifically it was movies that got me thinking, what kind of difference does it make to somebody after they build the Millennium Falcon? to know what the Millennium Falcon looks like. Because mm-hmm. up until that point, if you watched the movie, yeah, yeah. probably all the Millennium Falcon is to you is, yeah, you know, that's probably all you're getting out of the movie. I, I doubt that it's, it's, you know, thoroughly described or at least described mm-hmm. in such a way yeah, that would be, right. that would really, you know, cause that's a funny looking ship, you know, it, it's, it's not, it's not what you would imagine as being a spaceship. I, I don't think. Right. Um, so once you've got it built, 
you know, oh, that's that's they, what it looks they like. Can you know? it. They, you yeah, know, they can feel it. Yeah, they can. Yeah, you know, and, and the X-wing that, fighter, the Tie yeah. fighter, all of the all of these things. It's gotta, it's gotta really enrich that experience to have more spatial information about what's going on on screen. Yeah, I hadn't even thought about that, but yeah, you're absolutely right. You know, wow. it's surprising though because you know I think back to when I lost my sight. You know, almost 25 years ago now. You know, there's been Braille Scrabble and Braille Monopoly and some Braille board games for a long, long time. And just now, you know, companies like Lego are getting on board and they've been around a long time. You know, it, it just surprises me that it's taken this long. Well, good on them, though. Absolutely. When, they, when the opportunity did arise yeah. to, to grab onto it and embrace it. Absolutely. You know, they didn't, they yeah. didn't run screaming from it. They didn't say, no, nah, no, it's too small a market. They, yeah. they, they grabbed it, and they're, they're, they're running with it, and that's yeah. awesome. Absolutely. Yeah, good on Matthew. Good yeah. on Lego. Looking forward to my Lego set for Christmas. <laughs> small, though, not 4,200 pieces. How many are in a Star Destroyer? <laughs> How many were in the Death Star? <laughs> oh, do they have a Death Star? They must have I a thought Death they Star did. set. I thought they did, years and years ago. Damn. <laughs> Although, I, I got to admit, I'm a little concerned about the AI component of this. You know, you think about it, you, you're, you're teaching an AI to develop instructions to build things like Death Stars, <laughs> yeah. you know, A1 Abrams The tanks. rise of the robots. Yeah, yeah. It's, like, it's, 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 not, it's not much of a leap for that AI to go, hey, I bet I could build a real one. <laughs> and we welcome our robotic overlords. Yep. Yeah, that's a good point. That's a good point. Sorry, next generation. <laughs> that was an oopsie. Way. Sorry, sorry, Greta. That's right. You're not just, it's not just climate change anymore. You have to worry about it. It's AI. The, it's the killer robot. Yeah. Built out of Lego. <laughs> oh, God. All right. Hey, Ryan. Rob. Uh, where can people find us? ATBanter.com. They can also drop us an email if they so desire at cowbell. Wait, that's not it. <laughs> At, at atbanter.com. Um, uh, yeah, you know, they can also get us on social media. Did you know that? Huh? No, I didn't. That's Where? true. Tell it's us so more true. about this. Oh, my this goodness. Social there's, media scene. there's Facebook, there's Twitter, there's Instagram. And he leaves it hanging again. <laughs> oh, and LinkedIn. And LinkedIn. LinkedIn. There Woo. it is. Yeah, yeah. LinkedIn. Woo. <laughs> All right. Yeah. We're everywhere. Uh, and you can email us. Remember? That, that was the first yes, part like there. Yeah, you said that. Yeah. yeah. But, but they, they haven't... They haven't. Cowbell. Why aren't they emailing? We did get email. What? Yeah, we got an email. Hold on, wait. Okay. Oh, so, well... What? <laughs> well, I don't know. We just were... I thought we were giving out our things again, so I thought I'd do Cowbell. At atventure.com. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> now maybe we'll get another email this week. We did it twice. <laughs> and so that's going to about do it for us this week, everybody. Thanks again for listening in. Big thank you to Matthew Schifrin for joining us, and uh, we will see everybody next week. This podcast has been brought to you by Canadian Assistive Technology, providing low vision and blindness solutions across Canada. Find us online at www.canastech.com. That's C-A-N-A-S-S-T-E-C-H dot com. Or call us toll free at 1-844-795-8324. For all your assistive technology servicing needs, call Chaos Technical Services at 778-847-6840 or find them online at chaostechnicalservices.com. Whoa, look at that. Master of the one take.